we do give you praise and thanks for the joy, the privilege of gathering as your people to worship. Christ has made the way where we can come to you and speak to you in prayer and hear from you in your word. That we can give you praise and worship. Lord, as we continue this worship in Scripture, please anoint me, I pray, and, and all of us to hear your word, to take it to heart, that your spirit would work in us. Lord, draw those not in the faith to Christ and salvation. And those of us who are, encourage us, grow us with your word for your glory. And Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's a story of unknown origin. And one version of it goes like this. A certain rich merchant was walking through the marketplace in Baghdad. When standing across the street, he suddenly saw the figure of death beckoning him. The terrified man ran home. He mounted his fastest horse and raced 500 miles to Samara. Later that night, there was a knock at the door. When the man answered, there stood death. Why did you beckon me in the marketplace of Baghdad today, the man asked. I did not beckon you, replied death. I was merely surprised to see you, for I knew that tonight we had an appointment in Samara. It's a fictional story, but it contains a truth. Since Adam fell in sin, we as human beings have faced the inescapability of death. In Psalm 89, 48, it says, What man can live and not see death? Hebrews 9, 27, in, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Earlier this week, Pastor Scott preached the memorial service of his dear friend and faithful pastor, Paul Anthos. In just the last few weeks, we've lost two Riverbend members to death, Dick Cundy and Marsha Delaney. It's only been six months since Grayson Brown went to be with the Lord. For our family, it's only been a year and a half since Donna's mom, Mama B, went to heaven. Just a little over three years since Pastor Roy died. We could go on. We could go across this room and it would take a long time for those close to us in even just recent time who have died. Death forces its way into our consideration. When it does, do we consider it? Do we take it before the Lord and, and think about it according to his word? Or do we push it quickly aside? Do we suppress it? Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. This reality of death furthermore affects how we live, the living of life. How, how should we live? What is life all about? What is its purpose? What is its end? The Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter to the Philippian church, does so from a, from a prison in Rome and facing the real possibility of a soon death by execution. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes about life and death, including at the heart of it our, our verse for this morning. We read the whole paragraph, or Aaron read the whole paragraph, but the, the scripture for today is verse 21 of Philippians 1. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Short. Simple. In the Greek, there's not even verbs. They're, they're, they're built in to the structure, but it's a very 
succinct statement and yet so full of truth. We will we'll barely scratch the surface this morning. And we see in this verse that Christ should be our all. As he is Paul's. And should be so in three ways. Christ should be all in our worldview. Glorify him by believing his word. Christ should be all in our living. Glorify him by trusting him for salvation, for spiritual growth, and for sacrificial service. And Christ should be all in our death. Glorify him by enjoying the gain of going to be with him. So first, Christ should be all in our worldview. Glorify Christ by believing his word. Verse 21 begins, for to me. We'll we'll save the for for later, for point number two. In in Greek, as Paul wrote it, to me actually comes first, which emphasizes it. I believe he's making a point by including to me. This two-word phrase in English, it's one word in Greek, is the basis of this point. The case the word is in indicates that Paul is, he's sharing his point of view on life and death. Daniel Wallace writes that the idea is something like, as I look at it, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Or as far as I'm concerned, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Now, Paul's not saying this in in the sense of just, I'm giving my opinion, my preference, as opposed to there are a lot of other opinions and other preferences. That's not what Paul is saying. That's the way our society today thinks, but that's not the way Scripture works. Paul is stating that he holds to the truth, the truth that the Holy Spirit is breathing out through him right here, And through him and other writers in other scripture, other parts of the scripture, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. He holds to the right worldview, the truth of scripture, the word of God. And Paul sets a good example in this for us, an example we, excuse me, should follow. In chapter 3, excuse me, here of Philippians, verse 17, brethren, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. In chapter 4, verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, it says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. We should hold to the biblical viewpoint, the biblical worldview, as Paul does. And his writing to me reflects that not everyone does. Not everyone holds to this worldview. Because of our sin, the fallen state of mankind, we we naturally go against the Bible, against the worldview God gives us of truth in Scripture. As Roman 1 states, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And until Christ saves us and starts transforming us, we're not going to, from our heart, say to me to live is Christ. Rather, we're going to say to me to live is me. And to die is loss. Which the second part of that is true. If, if we're not in Christ and, and for me to live is me, then dying is loss. This can take many forms, but it's the essential worldview apart from Christ. It's all about self. Ephesians 2, 3 says it this way. We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This selfish viewpoint on life can can include many different idols of of the hearts. Even even once saved, we still fight with that. Our, our, Our new nature in Christ fights against our old sin nature that wants to drag us back into into being all about ourself and other things and not Christ. So what are some of these things? Is it to live is pleasure? To live is convenience? To live is control? To live is to please others? 
to live is to have great worldly success, to be well-respected, to live as safety, to live as family. It could be good. There could be good things. In fact, if, if to me to live as Christ, family will be very important. But under Christ, nothing should be raised above Christ. Christ alone should be all to us. For Christ to be all in life and death, he must be our all in our worldview. We cannot overemphasize the importance of developing, by God's grace, a Christ-centered biblical view of everything. Where our viewpoint on life, death, and everything is the truth God reveals in Scripture. And this is the one place for that worldview, for truth. It's above our experiences. As Paul, I mean, sorry, as Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, he had a, he had a real experience with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says, this, this is what's sure for us. We should go to Scripture alone for this worldview because it's breathed out by God, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3. And as Christ prays in John 17, God, your word is truth. Not just true, but truth against which we measure everything else to determine is it true, is it right, or is it false, is it wrong. Paul is right here. The heart, the summary of the biblical worldview is not is not just a set of truths, although it includes a set of truths. It is the person, Christ. God's word points us to Christ, to know Christ, not just about Christ, but to know him. To Paul, Christ is all in life and death. Is he all in life and death to me? Preparing for this was convicting. Where I fail in that. But it's also encouraging. By the grace of God, yes, Christ is all. There's, there's no one else. I don't want anyone or anything else. Do I struggle with that? Do I fight my flesh? Yes, but he is all. Is he your all? in life and death. Secondly, Christ should be all in our living. Glorify him by trusting him for salvation, spiritual growth, sacrificial service. In our English translations, Philippians 1.21 begins with four. Said we'd come back to it. And it points us back to the preceding uh, verses. So look back where Aaron began reading at the end of verse 18. And, and before, we read, before I read it, <clears throat> I want to note that looking at the context of this immediate paragraph and of the book of Philippians, we can see in Paul as an example some of what is meant. We'd have to go through all of Scripture to get all of it, and we, and we don't have time, but some of what is meant by the statement to live is Christ. So at the end of verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul, Paul desires that Christ be exalted, that he be honored, that he be glorified in Paul, in, in his body, whether his body continues to live or dies. Either way, his, his heartbeat is that Christ be glorified. An essential aspect of Christ being our all is that by his grace we exalt Christ in life or death, in everything. The chief end of man, remember, or purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So glorify him by trusting him for salvation. That's the starting point. That's the, 
the foundation, that's the basis of Christ being all. In verse 19, again, Paul says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. An interpretive question here is what is Paul referring to by deliverance? One possibility is that it's deliverance in an earthly sense from his imprisonment and, and possible coming execution, that he'll, he will be delivered from those things. Verses 24 and 25 may point that direction where he describes how he's become convinced that the believers there at Philippi need his continued ministry, so he believes God is going to deliver him and give more time for him to serve those fellow believers. Or the other possibility <clears throat> is it may refer to salvation. Now, Paul's already justified. He's already been brought by Christ to, to saving faith in him. <clears throat> but, but to the completion of Paul's salvation. We, if we're here and we are in Christ, we're, we've been justified. We're still being sanctified. That's still to be completed. And one day we'll be glorified. There's still a completion of our salvation. And so it could be referring to that, that Paul's salvation through to his glorification in Christ's presence is what he's referring to here. Verse 20 would seem to favor this uh, view of deliverance because it states Christ can be glorified in Paul's death, which would mean he's not being earthly delivered, as well as glorified in his life. As I look at it, it seems to me that it refers to either or both according to God's sovereign plan. The Lord will deliver his people to accomplish his plans. And ultimately, that is the completion of our salvation in glory. Now, someone might object, well, that, that's convenient. You're just setting it up where you can't lose. That's the whole point. Not that I'm setting it up that way. God sets it up that way for believers, for his elect, for those he's chosen, those he loves in Christ. He set it up where he is going to work things out and accomplish his plans, and we win in the end. And then that's the whole point he's making. We, Christ will be exalted, and we as believers will gain in any and every situation, whether we live or die. Glorifying Christ by, by trusting him for salvation includes, as Paul words it here, earnest expectation and hope that all, even suffering and persecution, will turn out for our good in the completion of our, of our salvation ultimately and God's protection and deliverance in his plans along the way. Paul, Paul wrote Philippians 1.21 closer to the end of his ministry, stating this, this truth and this confidence for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He wrote a parallel verse in Galatians early in his ministry <clears throat> that gives us some further insight, particularly into trusting him for salvation. So a couple books earlier in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I have been crucified with Christ. In the context there in Galatians 2, believers died to the law in Christ when he died on the cross. Christ accomplished that uh, setting us free from the law that death brings through his death on our behalf. And then verse 20 goes on, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Ephesians 2 gives background on this life the believer lives. It, it was prior to justification. He lived his own life in spiritual death. Now it's new life with Christ living in him as a believer. We were dead in our sin, separated from God, and salvation were made alive, and we trust him, and now relate to him, have fellowship with him. It's the new birth. 
It's regeneration. It's the work of God. God alone gives this life, taking us from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's, it's what's called a monergistic work, meaning God alone does this saving work, and God does all of this saving work. We have no part in bringing about our regeneration. The right example to follow won't regenerate us. The right environment around us won't regenerate us. The right emotions won't regenerate us. The right education won't regenerate us. Only God grants life, spiritual life. And when he does, we immediately and gladly repent of sin and believe on Christ alone to justify us, to save us, to make us his forever. Now the Spirit uses means, he uses his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's proclamation, the sharing of the gospel, but he alone regenerates us. It's only in Christ that we live spiritually alive to God. Galatians 2.20 concludes, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As a believer, we live by faith in Christ just as we were justified by faith in Christ. Day by day, follow Christ in faith. And Christ in us empowers us to live for God. As a believer, I no longer try to live by works of the law that I can't do. It's actually the way of death. Instead, I live by faith in the Lord. And he, through me, has me follow Christ. My living by faith in Christ is on the basis of his saving work. As Paul writes there in Galatians, he loved me and gave himself for me. So to live as Christ starts with salvation. God saving us, using means of grace. And that's an important point. If you're here this morning and you have not repented of your sin and believed on Christ for salvation, don't ignore that. We're, we're, at the end of this verse in Philippians 1, we're going to speak of, of quite the warning that's there about death. Now's the time. And what do you do? Avail yourselves of the means of grace. Get a Bible. We'll help you get one if you don't have one. Open it. Read it. Call out to God to show you the truth. Keep coming here and being under preaching and teaching of the scriptures. And repent of your sin and trust Christ alone. Trust his saving work. Christ is the only one who can save us because he is God and became man. And, and only the sinless God-man can save us from our sin. And he did. He lived the sinless life we failed to and gives us that righteousness when we trust him. He went to the cross in place of sinners and took the eternal wrath owed by sinners and satisfied it. He died, was buried, and then was raised to life the third day. So that all who believe on him receive life, eternal, spiritual life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, he tells us. Only through him can we come to the Father. To live as Christ not to live as Christ and the sacraments and good works and avoiding taboos. It's Christ alone is how we live spiritually. Is Christ alone your all in life and death? Before we continue, one, one other point here from Philippians is in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul expresses his confidence that the Lord will complete this salvation that he gives his elect to believers. The salvation for which we trust Christ is not temporary. It's not tenuous. It's not depending on us to somehow hold on to it. It is certain and eternal. He writes, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
which he freely bestowed on us. I'm sorry, that's Ephesians. Great verse, but uh, Philippians 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Christ should be all in our living. And we can glorify him in that as well, in trusting him for spiritual growth. Follow Paul's example as he follows Christ. By his grace, we should become increasingly like Christ. And we see, we see characteristics of this spiritual growth and Christ-likeness in Paul, even just in this letter to the Philippians. Just to mention a few or several. In chapter 1, verses 3 and 7, we see in Paul a gratitude to God for fellow believers engaged in the ministry of the gospel. He's thanking God for them. We should thank God for fellow believers, for one another, and find opportunities to say it to one another, to thank God for one another, maybe write a note to one another. Gratitude. In chapter 3, verse 3, it speaks of the characteristics in Paul of worshiping in the Spirit, glorying in Christ, and putting no confidence in the flesh. Those are elements of spiritual growth that we worship. We don't put confidence in ourselves. And a few verses later there in chapter 3, and count all fleshly gain and all things as lost for the sake of Christ. Paul had much in this life. He had esteem. If anyone could have worked their way to heaven, it would have been Paul. Of course, he, no one can. He had citizenship in Rome. He had, he had a lot in terms of this life. He said, it's all loss. I consider it all loss that I might gain Christ. Christ is his all. It marks spiritual growth, and we should follow in that. Verse 8 of chapter 3, Paul suffered loss for Christ. Speaks of he, he knows Christ, he knows the power of Christ's resurrection and the fellowships, fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Spiritual growth often includes suffering. Suffering for Christ grows us. And when Christ is our all, even in the midst of the suffering, we can still know peace. From him, joy in him, strength from him, comfort from him, fellowship with him. As Paul, knowing Christ. We'll get to death as gain, so much better. But even in the worst here, if we're in Christ, there's an unbelievable goodness and fullness in that alone. A few, few more characteristics here in Philippians. Chapter 3, 11 to 14, Paul presses on to the resurrection and the upward call of God in Christ. He keeps growing, he keeps growing, he keeps growing. We should follow his example. Chapter 3, verse 20, he's eagerly waiting for Christ. We should do the same, looking for his return. It doesn't mean that we don't enjoy, God does bless with earthly blessings, that we can enjoy to his glory but not let them take away the looking forward. Part of maturing in Christ is looking forward to his return. Chapter 4, he calls us to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoicing in Christ marks spiritual growth. And then right after that, he says not to be anxious, but prayerful and peaceful. Trusting his sovereignty and grace, knowing the peace that passes understanding. And there's a lot why does Paul write this? And there are other places in the scripture that speak to anxiety and worry and, and stress because there's much in this fallen world to cause those things. Our, our society right now is running so headlong away from God and his word and his ways directly against it. And I know many of you, like me, that, that's awful. It's stressful. It's, it's, we're anxious of what is this going to mean? 
for our children and our grandchildren and the future. And, but in the midst of it, he says, don't be anxious. Pray. Doesn't mean we don't speak truth into all of this and seek to do the right thing as, as far as we can, and that's all true. But don't live in anxiety. Trust the Lord. He's got it. It may be hard along the way. There may be judgments involved along the way. But if we're in Christ, he's got us too. And in life or in death, he'll be exalted and we will gain. Just one more contentment. The end of chapter 4, he speaks how through his life he's had much, he's had little. And in it all, he's learned to be content in the Lord. That's the context of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can have contentment and peace and joy when Christ is our all, no matter what's happening around us. And then Christ should be all in our living as we glorify him by trusting him for sacrificial service. <clears throat> we see this sacrificial service very much in Paul, in, in, in this immediate context. To live as Christ is marked by joy and rejoicing. And with Paul, we see that in verse 18, as joy specifically in response to Christ being proclaimed, to that service, that ministry happening. The preceding paragraph, 12 to, verses 12 to 18, Paul writes about how his imprisonment has helped the spread of the gospel. It's become known throughout the Praetorian Guard that, that's guarding him in prison. Uh, most believers hearing about what's happening to Paul have been encouraged to be more courageous themselves. By Paul suffering for the gospel, they're encouraged to be willing to suffer for the gospel and so to proclaim it more boldly. And that's happening and he's rejoicing in that. In verses 15 to 17, he points out that some of those proclaiming Christ are doing it from ill motives, envy, strife, selfish ambition, trying to cause distress to Paul in, in prison. But others preach Christ from goodwill and out of love. And Paul's response is, I rejoice. I rejoice that for whatever motive, Christ and his gospel are being proclaimed. Sacrificial service. He's not making it about himself. Christ is his all. He's not his own all. They can be out to, to harm me, to hurt me. Their motives may be against me. But if they're telling the truth about Christ, praise God. I'm glad. I rejoice in that because it's not about me. It's about Christ. The gospel going forth. Is Christ our all in living? Does it show in our proclaiming the gospel? In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says this, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And then later in Philippians 1 here, 22 to 26, he's gladly sacrificing what's best for him to do what's best for the believers there in Philippi. If I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's far very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul, Paul's writing there that as much as I want to go be with Christ, as, as far better as that is for me, I'm willing to hold that off and sacrifice for what's best for you. To minister, continue to, to minister for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul serves for the believer's sake. It's, it's disciple-making. He's wanting to stay for the ministry, the sacrificial service of building disciples. We can follow him in that as, as believers. We're not apostles, but as believers, we're called to be disciple-makers, to, to go and make disciples. And there are formal ways to do that here at, at Riverbend. 
plug in. Be a part of the ministry of your Bible fellowship group. And if you don't have one, find one. Plug into one and be a part of that. Or your, uh, for your home community group, be, find one. Be a part of one. Be part of the building one another up through it. When, when discipleship training program comes around periodically, be a part of that if you haven't been. Soul care groups. If you, if you are interested in being part of a small discipleship group, and there's some exciting new things, some, some men are writing new materials for that, let us know in the office to get you connected to those things. There are formal ways to plug in, and then informally. Just our relationships together as believers should be marked by sharing scripture with one another, praying with one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, ministering to one another's needs, all of that is sacrificial service to build one another up as disciples. And in all of this, we're to put others before ourselves. In chapter 2 here of Philippians, Paul calls the believers to do that. Don't just look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Uh, In the verse before, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility regard one another as more important than yourselves. And then he goes into the beautiful passage on how Christ does that for us. He emptied himself by taking on humanity. And then he was obedient to the point of death on the cross. That's that's the example. Paul follows that. We should follow that. Is Christ our all in living through trusting him in sacrificial service? John MacArthur shares a story of such service, that of Adoniram Judson. He was the first overseas missionary sent out from America. In the early 19th century, he and his first wife went to India and a short while later to Burma. He labored there for nearly four decades. After 14 years, the first 14 years, he had a handful of converts. He'd managed to write a Burmese grammar During that time, he suffered a horrible imprisonment for a year and a half. He lost his wife and children to disease. Like Paul, he longed to be with the Lord, but also like the apostle, he considered his work for Christ infinitely more important than his personal longings. He therefore prayed that God would allow him to live long enough to translate the entire Bible into Burmese and to establish a church there of at least 100 believers. The Lord granted his requests and even allowed him to compile Burmese English and English Burmese dictionaries, which became invaluable to the Christian workers, both foreign and Burmese, who followed him. Judson wrote, If I had not left certain, sorry, if I had not felt certain that every trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Is Christ our all in living? Thirdly, Christ should be all in our death. Glorify him by enjoying the gain of going to be with him. Paul's last statement in verse 21 is to die is gain. Before we we look at how death is gain, we should heed the warning of what death is without Christ. Beginning in Genesis 3, we see that death is a loss as a result of sin. In the genealogy two chapters later, in chapter 5, at each generation, the repeated phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. In Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. And this death includes three aspects. There's spiritual death. The moment Adam ate of that fruit, he died spiritually and we did in him. Ephesians 2 describes this spiritual death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. 
This is how we start life, spiritually dead in sins and under the wrath of God. Second aspect of death, physical death. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve having died spiritually, God sent them out of the garden so they could not continue to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. It would no longer be a blessing to live spiritually dead physically forever. And they began to die physically. And as mentioned, it took 900-something years, but Adam died. And then his son died, and his son died. It's very important to realize that physical death ends the opportunity to repent and believe. Don't presume more time. Yeah, 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 I've heard this gospel thing. Yeah, I, I, I understand, but I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to run with my sin a little bit. You may not have more time. Even our whole life, the Bible says, is a vapor. It's a mist. Now's the time to repent and believe in Christ. Because the third aspect of death is eternal death. It's the second death. It's the lake of fire as described in several places in Revelation 20 and 21. We owe God an eternal debt of wrath for our sin. If we are paying it ourselves, it will never end. Our only hope is Christ. Romans 5 helps us understand about this sin and our fallen state. And it describes that through Adam's one sin, death entered the world and then spread to all men because all sinned. No one escapes death. You could say, well, what about Enoch? What about Elijah? Yes, God took them from physical death, but they started just like we do in spiritual death. Death hits all. Psalm 51, David describes how he was conceived in sin. Not saying that a, a, a married man and his wife conceiving a child is blessed of God. It's the purity of the marriage bed. That's not the sin. It's that when our existence starts because of Adam's sin, we start out sinners. We're conceived in sin. And, and we might object, well, that's not fair. It's not fair that Adam's sin makes me a sinner. But be careful. God's the determiner of fair, of just. He is a just and holy and righteous God, and he set it up this way. And there's actually good news in it. That's what Romans 5 is describing is because Adam, as the head of our race, is our representative in sin, Christ, if we belong to Christ by faith, can be our representative in salvation. If we wanted to, no, 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 I want to do it on my own, we would fail like Adam, but then there's no representation. Then we're just left condemned like the fallen angels. Thank God for the representation and run to Christ. Put your faith in Christ. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, we were joined to Adam, we are now joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that our salvation is as certain as that. We are in Christ. And because we're in Christ, all that belongs to him will become ours. Even as all that belong to Adam's already become ours. Because of that one sin of Adam, we have reaped the appalling consequences. But because of this one act of the Son of God, we are going to reap all the benefits of salvation. In Christ, we are under the reign of grace. Our future is guaranteed. We have certainty. That is the apostle's whole point, that this wonderful act of justification is an initial move which leads to all the other blessings and guarantees them all. This is how death, that is, that is separation as a result of sin and includes suffering eternal wrath, is totally transformed for the believer into gain. It's only through Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're still, still spiritually dead. You, and when you die physically, you'll enter eternal wrath. Repent and believe in Christ. And for all who are already in Christ, like Paul, take courage. Be encouraged no matter what's going on in your life. No matter how much pain, how much suffering, how much hurt, even from death of others. Be 
Be encouraged to die is gain in Christ. And verse 23 adds, better by far. What, what, we, what will be ours through death is better by far than what's already great here because we know Christ if we're believers. Let's quickly look at this gain and, and, and then close. The main, the, the gain is not, it, the gain includes, sorry, uh, I'm, for time I'm trying to jump ahead a little bit. The gain includes the release from the sufferings of this life. All, all our sin will be removed. That's incredible. We'll, we'll, every tear will be dried. We'll, sickness will be no more. Death will be no more. But it's not limited to escape. It's so much greater than that. It's better by far. It's, it's going to something more and more. And the heart of it, the, the sum of it, it includes many things, is Christ himself. The, the gain for the believer in death is to be with Christ. That's what Paul says here in this passage. It's Christ himself. And, and that totally shuts down the false teaching of soul sleep. There are some who would say that when the believer dies, his soul or her soul goes to sleep until the resurrection day. Paul's saying, no, I'm going to be with Christ. The gain is I'm going to be with Christ. And in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body for the believer is to be present at home with the Lord. It's an immediate thing. If, you've, if you have a loved, a, a fellow believer who's gone, in death, they're with Christ. They're consciously, spiritually alive with Christ right now. That is a great comfort. And that's a great gain to look forward to for all believers. And it's a heaven to gain if you're not a believer. Come to Christ. James Montgomery Boyce writes, Death is always a separation, even for the Christian." For the unbeliever, death is the separation of the soul and the spirit from God. For the Christian, death is the separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. But there's one respect in which death is no separation at all for those who trust in Jesus. No separation from him. Even for Paul, the dilemma he stood in wasn't a dilemma between Christ and not Christ. It was a dilemma between Christ and Christ. Christ much and Christ more. Christ by faith and Christ by sight. With being with Christ comes the completing of our salvation, as was mentioned earlier in, in, in Philippians 1. And we see it also in 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the gain is Christ and being with Christ and seeing Christ. And when we see him being made like Christ, our salvation being completed in glorification. To see Jesus face to face. Take time to ponder that. That, the one moment when we get to see Christ is enough. It's worth it all that we can see our Savior face to face. And the beauty is it won't be just one moment. It'll be forever. Christ. Other gains here in Philippians, Christ being exalted in our death as his elect, verse 20 of chapter 1. Christ glorified when, when his followers' sacrificial service results in disciples following Christ, chapter 2, verse 16. The joy of death for the believer serving others' faith, chapter 2, verse 17. Attaining the resurrection from the dead, chapter 3, verses 11 and 21. There, there's so much gain when we are in Christ that we that we enter into through physical death. 
tears dried, no more sickness, suffering, or death, all sin removed, made like Christ, and most of all, Christ. Is Christ our all in life and death? He was Paul's. I pray he's ours. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your salvation. Lord, all of us who have received your choosing us, drawing us, granting us life and faith, where you have taken our sin and forgiven us and made us yours. Lord, fill us with gratitude and and let us live every day where Christ is our all in living and in dying. And Lord, we beg for others that you would draw them, that they would know the joy of your salvation. To know to live as Christ and to die as gain. And Father, we, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.